0: spend my dollar. It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it.
1: <laughs> Run it again.
0: Hello and welcome.
1: I'm not going to, so quit asking. When you give me a hard time.
0: For the listeners that didn't get to go.
1: This is the payback. Alabama wins. <laughs> what you did last year really doesn't matter. Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. All right. Hello and welcome
0: to a strong team dynamic edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. I'm of the opinion that words are not sufficient for this game and for this team right now, which kind of sucks for me, but we'll manage hard. The progress this team has made is movement traditionally registered on the Richter scale. But is it enough? That's the question. The graveyard we all want to whistle past. The hope and maybe even expectation is that this question, is it enough, can serve as motivational jet fuel for this year's squad. I'd have a hard time betting against it. Talk about seismic activity in the improvement department. Look no further than Jalen Milrow. For the second consecutive week, he has made history with his play. This week, three passing touchdowns plus three rushing touchdowns is a feat that no Alabama quarterback has ever achieved. Damn, that's impressive. He's also the third uh, quarterback to have six or more uh, touchdowns in a game, Bryson Tua being the others. Talk about rarefied air. Jalen Milrow has more fun and more smiles on the field, I think, than any quarterback I've ever seen. There's a playfulness, a backyard sort of school playfulness that he brings to the scene that I think is really rubbing off, uh, on his teammates. They go out there and they play hard, but damn, they just have fun. And, uh, the results speak for themselves. Milbo is also a legit team leader. Uh, we've seen it throughout the season, but Saturday against Kentucky, again, just a little bit of adversity. He gets a thigh bruise. I'm not, I'm not diagnosing. I've not read an official report, but he gets dinged on the thighs, gets dinged on the thigh. looks like it's an injury, uh, has trouble even walking there uh, for a little bit. So they sprawl him out on the field and, and check him, and they continue to work him uh, on the sidelines. He's on the exercise bike. He's getting stem. He's getting the heating pad. Uh, all of this to be able to continue to play. You play a series and you warm up a little bit, and then you go sit down. Are you going to be able to come back and, and play? Now they're treating him uh, for this. You go into halftime, are you going to cool down and not be able to really come back? Those are the questions that I was certainly watching Uh, as as the game progressed. And if you you tuned into the game after that drive, you wouldn't have known that that he was injured. He really persevered through that and played really, really uh, well. Uh, His numbers, they weren't world beaters, but in aggregate they were really, really uh, impressive. Uh, Again, he was 15 of 22 passing for 234 yards, but three touchdowns. He did have an interception. We'll talk about that. Uh, he rushed eight times for thirty-six yards, and there were no sacks. So that's not net of uh, sack. There was thirty-six yards, but damn, he was efficient with him because he scored three touchdowns uh, on those uh, thirty-six yards. So again, he netted in six six touchdowns, and just his improved play the last two weeks coming off the buy uh, a ten uh, net ten touchdowns those those two weeks is uh, is pretty dang impressive. Yes. There was an ugly interception, and I want to get angry at that. I want to get mad about that, but I think about it, and I think, you know, I think there's a balance between playing perfect and playing free, and Milrow is in the nexus of that. He's playing uh, not quite perfect, but he's playing really well. And he just plays with a freedom, uh, with, with a, a levity uh, about him, and certainly with a great deal of confidence. It reminds me of a football story that I've told on the podcast before, but it's been you know quite a number of years ago. Uh, I, I, I forget the opponent, and I forget all of the circumstances, but New York Jets head coach Bill Parcells went to Phil Simms, and this was earlier in Phil Simms' career. And he said, look, I want you to throw in three interceptions today. And Phil Simms looks at him like he's crazy because one of the hard, hardest-nosed coach uh, in the NFL has always been sort of Bill Parcells. And it, he has no tolerance for, for play. Uh, but the message there was, don't just go three interceptions for the sake of three interceptions, but go out there and let it fly. We can't win this game if you don't play at the maximum level of your confidence and let the ball, just let it go. Let her rip. Don't stop and think and, and digest and sort of process and then miss out on all the plays. Go out there and let her rip. Know the play and let it rip and feel free. We're not going to pull you out of the game. Uh, just play with a freedom and a confidence. That was the motivational tactic that Parcells uh, was was kind of putting out there. And Milroe, Saturday played with that level of confidence. You want your quarterback to play – like he's Superman, you want him to believe that he's Superman, that he can thread the win- the the window, that he can get the ball, you know, to the receivers. There is no Superman quarterback, so there are going to be mistakes. And so, as much as I didn't like the interception that Milrow threw, and I wish he had just thrown that into the stands, there's a piece of me that says, you know what? He thinks he's invincible. And I don't mind him playing with that confidence. And if that's going to give me a bad play every once in a while, but all of the bounty of good plays, look, six touchdowns against one interception, I'll take that. And if that's what the cost of entry is, if that's the ante for Milro to play that free, then that's a bargain. We'll take that every week. We'll take that. Uh, every game, I wish we could get that out of the game. Uh, there's a there's the Saban part that says it's got to be perfect, but it's got to be free, and he's got to play with the confidence. And somewhere there's that right balance, and Milro just seems to be right there, uh, where where those lines would intersect. His his level of play at this point. I want to talk about what I thought was the play of the game, and what's interesting is I'm going to reference this play a couple times uh, throughout the podcast, foreshadowing, folks. Uh, but the play of the day was Alabama's last touchdown. I know Saban breaks down a play every week, and I haven't seen that. I don't even see it every week. I see it most weeks. And so, by gosh, if that's his play of the day, then that's awesome because I'm not doing this because he did it. I'm not doing this talking about the same things or repeating the same things that Saban did. I'm not, not doing it at all. As I record this at 3.30 Eastern on Sunday afternoon, I've not seen that video clip yet. And so if we're talking about the same play, awesome. If we're talking about different plays, awesome. But if I say a lot of the same things, the same thing says, don't think that I've just copied them, because I promise you that's not the case. But the play of the day, and I fought it at the time, and I went back and rewatched it a couple times, and I was like, man, there's some good stuff in this play right here. It was Alabama's last touchdown before the half, and it put the score at 28-7, uh, to seven, which, again, is an insurmountable score. Uh, I think we all knew that. It was Milrow's 26-yard touchdown pass uh, to Roy Dell. And, and the beauty of this play, when uh, Milrow receives the snaps, he looks left. That's where his primary. He doesn't go to run left, he just looks left. That's where his primary receiver is. He's looking for his primary receiver and he reads that, you know, that he's covered. And so what he what he starts to do is roll out to the right. Now, it's not a mad sprint like I'm just going to run the ball now. I'm going to tuck it in and run. He's rolling out so that he can buy himself time to survey the right side of the field. And as he's doing that, he points out to Roydale, and then he stops, and he throws a beautiful rainbow uh, of a pass. It was a Jack Trudeau uh, special, just a rainbow pass, had just the right amount of touch, and Roydale had to climb the ladder a little bit, but it was within sort of his catch radius. And so, you know, Milro rolled out, stopped, threw a beautiful touch pass. Earlier this season, he was not throwing touch passes, right? We've talked about this. And then Rodale Williams proceeds to take the ball and run it up the sideline and score a touchdown. I'll simplify that part for now. That play, I went back and watched it. I watched the replays that the TV put on, and I went back and watched it a couple times after that. Folks, that was Bryce Young. That play was pure 100% Bryce Young. I'm looking. I know where the play is supposed to go. It's covered, so I'm going to make a better decision. I'm going to roll out for the sake of extending the play, not for the sake of trying to run. I'm going to find an open receiver. I'm going to direct them maybe just a little bit if I have to, and I'm just going to do a perfect little touch, little pop pass that's going to be right where the receiver can catch it. No one else is going to have an opportunity for it, and it's going to be a play. Uh, and, and this one went for a touchdown. They don't always go for touchdowns, but maybe it's a first down. Maybe it's extending a drive. Maybe it is a big play. Maybe it does result in a score. But the whole mechanic of the play, pure Bryce Young. And uh, Milrow pulled that off. I mean, you can't do a blind sort of, I don't know the two quarterbacks, uh, because Milrow is so much bigger. But I promise that play, you can find a Bryce Young play that's nearly exactly the same, and you put them side by side. And uh, uh, they're going to look nearly exactly alike. A lot of hype is Jalen Milrow a Heisman candidate, and the short answer to that is no, he's he's not. But I like what uh, uh, Tess uh, Tessator said during the broadcast, and then I'll say, I'll say this: if Tessator is walking something back, if Tessator is turning down the volume on a. Hot take. Um, <laughs> maybe you've jumped the shark. And so, uh, testator was like, no, no, I don't think he's a Heisman candidate. But but he made the key comment, and I 100% agree. And I got mad when testator said it because, again, it was one of those things that I wanted to say. Uh, it, but he said it, and it's exactly right. He said, but that the question is being asked is the win for Milro. That the question. Is he a Heisman candidate? No. But that you're asking the question, that it is a question, is the win. That's the win. Because three weeks ago, six weeks ago, August, go back to April, it wasn't a question. That was not even, that was the furthest thing. You couldn't even get odds on it, probably. It wasn't even a question. Now that it is even a question, is itself the seismic shift. It, that is the movement in the progress, in the performance, and the level of play uh, that Milrow is providing. That is the win. I will say this. Saturday, the Alabama game was early, and I spent most of the afternoon just flipping between games and and ended up watching a good bit of football as, as a result of that and fell asleep during the, uh, the late-night uh, Pac-10 game. I'll say this as a generalized statement. I did not see many quarterbacks that were better than that were better than Milrow. I did not. I saw some really bad quarterback play that Milroe is was far and above outperformed, and there were a couple of quarterbacks like I don't know if Milroe has that in his game, and I'm thinking Penix is certainly is one, but there weren't many of those. There were not. Uh, there were not many of those, and so I'll I'll say that uh, for Bryce, he stacked up well against the inventory of quarterback play that uh, we had an opportunity to all see on Saturday. We got to talk uh, about uh, Ty Simpson. If we're going to talk about quarterback play, uh, he played most of the fourth quarter. He did come in earlier in the game when Bryce uh, was injured. There was an injury timeout. Uh, That player has to sit out at least one play. And so Ty came in and handed off the ball. I think that was a penalty. Uh, I don't specifically remember. Uh, but Ty did play in a more extended uh, role in the fourth quarter. He was only one of three of passing. It was late uh, late, uh, in the margin. The game was pretty well decided by then. Uh, so we didn't get to, to sling it around a whole lot. But his one, his one was one to remember. It was a 51-yarder uh, to true freshman Jalen Hale. And, uh, it was sprint out. And I'm just going to tell you, he had ho-hos, uh, uh, did Ty Simpson. So it was, it was great to see that. So he has progressed maybe over what we, uh, what the coaches saw in fall camp, maybe what we saw in a day. That was a really, really nice play. He also had a nine-yard run, uh, on another play. Uh, he juked uh, a defender sort of out of his socks and, uh, had a good run there. So Ty Simpson has, uh, appeared to have progressed as well. Uh, they kept talking about Buckner. And uh, Buckner was standing on the sidelines, and uh, I think through my TV, the distance to, to Lexington, and, and through the TV, I think I could read Buckner's thoughts. And I think he was saying, "Man, Ty Simpson, I hope you, I hope you sling a couple of touchdowns, so I can get a chance to get back on the field." And uh, that certainly would have been a fun uh, opportunity to see that, because we want to wish uh, the young man well, and we want to wish that he has progressed. I mean, not under live fire in the same way that Milrow has, but we want him to to have a level of comfort and confidence just in, in his own ability, uh, even just for his own sake, uh, that he has progressed. And we'd like to see that on the field. There there should be uh, some some payoff uh, for him in his time at Alabama. So it would be nice to see him sling a touchdown. And, and I was rooting for it uh, certainly Saturday, but uh, it didn't play out that way. And that's okay. We're not going to throw the ball all over the lot. Uh, when we're up on an uh, when we're up on opponent, we've always said that about saving, and um, we still believe that that is true. Let's talk about uh, talk about the wide receivers. Ten different receivers caught passes, and if you take out the one pass that Ty Simpson, the completion that he had to Jalen Hale, we're going to take that out for the sake of this this conversation because one of the things we've been tracking is the receivers that Milrow is throwing to. And so there were nine different receivers. Again, we're taking out Jalen Hell. We're taking out his one reception that came from Ty Simpson. There were nine receptions or nine different receivers that caught the 15 completions that Jalen Milrow had. So, again, the ratio there is pretty astronomical. Nine different receivers catching the 15 uh, completions. Uh, that's incredible. We've talked about the trifecta and, and Milrow hit it, I think, you know, with the hook, I don't know if that's appropriate betting terminology, but uh, Milro hit it just incredibly on Saturday. Uh, a Wide receiver caught a pass uh, running back uh, caught a pass, at least one, uh, at least one wide receiver, at least one running back and at least one uh, tight end each had receptions. And on Saturday, each of them had a touchdown reception. Each of those possession groups had uh, position groups had a reception for a touchdown. So that's pretty really dang impressive. Uh, last week we called it out, and the bar was raised on Saturday with each three uh, position group receiving a touchdown. Uh, and again, Melrose threw three interceptions, or I'm sorry, three uh, touchdown receptions. And so to, to distribute them evenly across the uh, position groups is pretty dang uh, impressive. Uh, calling out a couple of the individual plays. I mean, everyone, uh, you know, Kobe Pernas led, right? He had four of the receptions. Uh, so it's hard to, you know, sort of splice that any differently. Uh, four of the receptions, 74 yards. He had the receiving touchdowns, and it was a beautiful 40-yarder uh, down the field. Uh, you could even see some of the other Alabama receivers uh, celebrating the touchdown as the ball was still sort of flying over, uh, flying over their heads because they saw the the separation. So that was uh, certainly fun to see. Uh Nye Black had uh a, a touchdown and a couple of nice catches. Uh CJ Dupree had one reception for 30 yards. It was a nice tough physical uh over-the-middle play in a little bit of traffic, but it was a clean catch by c Dre. CJ, he's contributing in the way that that uh I was hopeful that he would. Of course, you know, Roydale's uh touchdown was phenomenal. Jalen Hall, now he had the touchdown or he had the catch from Ty Simpson, but it was still a really nice catch up, up the sideline. Malik Benson had a catch and and uh, they all looked really really good. And I'm leaving guys off the off the list because what I could just list all of them, uh, all of the nine or 10 uh, guys uh, and I listed more than half of them. So they all looked really really good. What's interesting is that both of last year's leading receivers, Jermaine Burton and Jacory Brooks were out of the game. Now Jacory Brooks has had a shoulder shoulder injury and has missed most of the season sort of as it is. Uh, Jermaine Burton has been in and out of the lineup. I think he's missed another game earlier uh, in the year. He was uh, sick to the point. uh, Saban said that he didn't make the trip. And what's interesting is that it was breaking news that he would not play on Saturday morning, just an hour before the game. And so that had long been uh, decided because he didn't make the trip with the team. Now, had he woken up fully healthy? Would they have figured out a way to get him there? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. We'll see. Nonetheless, uh, when we think about last year's uh, Alabama squad, the two leading receivers and, and one led on big plays and one led in sort of consistency. And we've talked about, you know, which one was number one. You make case for either. Uh, neither played on Saturday. And so for Ty Simpson to have or I'm sorry, Jalen Milrow to have such the historic performance with those cats being out. Look, that's another example of this co- this team overcoming adversity. And this quarterback playing as well as he can, regardless of circumstance. So, again, pretty darn impressive. Uh, let's talk about running backs. And is, there's really no big news to talk about the running backs. And that is the big news to talk about running backs. So, there were no big days, but lots of solid days. Uh, Jace had nine carries. He led. Um, Uh, I want to make sure. Yeah, he led all running backs uh, with carries. He had nine carries. Uh, He averaged nearly five, which is certainly impressive. Uh, It's a first down every couple of plays. Uh, Keep the sticks moving, right? Uh, Roydell had six for 20, so his average was a little bit lower. Jamarian Miller had six for 11, so his average was, was low, but he had a touchdown. And so uh, at least a couple of his carriers were right at the goal line. And so that sort of uh, suppressed or depressed his his average a little bit. But he had the touchdown, which we predicted. And so to think that one running back had a touchdown and it just so happened to be the one that we predicted, that's pretty darn impressive. So uh, that's pretty darn cool because uh, Jim Marion Miller is a player that uh, we strongly root for. And uh, we've talked about uh, the contribution and the value he, ha- he has to the team. As, uh, as long ago as last year, uh, Justice Hayes got some extended play. So he had six carries, uh, for 33 yards. He had a five and a half yard average. That was the highest average amongst the backs. Now I'll give a little bit of credit to, well, I don't know if it's credit, but a little bit of an allowance to Kentucky. I think at that point, both teams were playing backups, but I like seeing Justice Hayes get some carries. And Richard uh, Young received a couple of carries as well. He had two for four. So uh, nothing earth shattering there. But the fact that he's getting into the game uh, is a little bit of a payoff. And so we enjoy seeing the youngsters. The low carries and the deep bench that Alabama demonstrated on Saturday. Now, if we want to count, I think Isaiah Bond had a uh, sort of a little pitch pass Maybe it was Kendrick Law and then Milrose carries. So I'm not counting those with when I talk about specifically about the running backs here. Uh, But the five running backs, all five running backs, all five scholarship running backs uh, received totes, uh, which is nice. You know, nine was the leader. Right. And so that's a that's a low number, uh, relatively speaking. There were low carries and a deep bench, I think, bodes well for this team down the stretch. Uh, We're getting guys healthy. We're keeping guys healthy. And we just might find a star. Uh, cause I think Richard Young and Justice Haynes are going to be phenomenal. Justice, I think flashes it. Richard hasn't yet, but Justice, I think flashes it. And of course, we, uh, we like the contributions that Jamarian is capable of making as well. So that's going to be fun to see, you know, kind of down the stretch. Uh, if there's a little bit of change in the pecking order, there hasn't really been other than Jam getting some more carries. Uh, but that's been no change in the pecking order. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, we had predicted at the beginning of the year that the pecking order would be how it is right now. We also predicted that it would change, and it has not changed. So we were a little bit right and uh, a lot wrong uh, in that regard. But there's still time for it to change. We'll see how that we'll see how that uh, plays out. The offensive line, look, I'm just going to say it again, and you can put me on repeat here. Uh, but they played their best game of the season. And we talked about this last week. Uh, If you play your best game this week, but that was also true last week, and that was also true the week before and the week before, that means you're trending the right way. This offensive line is trending the right way. There were no sacks uh, on the quarterback, and uh, that's the first time this season that has been a true statement. Uh, I read uh, there was an article. I don't remember which site. They tried to put a little clever uh, spin on it, and they caught me. When I first uh, read it, they said, uh, where they say this is the first game since South Florida where Jalen Milrow has not been sacked. And I said, that can't be right. He's been sacked every week. And then and then the punchline uh, or the payoff is that Milrow didn't play uh, in uh, South Florida. So I thought, OK, you got me on that one. But uh, the point is there were no sacks in this game. Milrow certainly not sacked. So that's a representation that the offensive line is is playing better. There were solid uh, running games, certainly. There was time to pass, uh, certainly that you know all of those represent improvement. I do not specifically specifically recall a bad snap from Seth. I was not watching or tracking that during the game. But throughout the season, you haven't had to watch for it or track it. You haven't had to like rewind and make notes, is that a perfect snap or not? Because the bad snaps have just jumped off the screen at you. Some are more egregious than others when Milrow's not ready, uh, you know, and I'm even just talking about the low snaps that he has to sort of, you know, feel, almost feel shortstop style. You don't have to track them because they're, again, from the beginning of the season, there's been so many of them that they just, you, you eventually sort of notice like, man, we're doing that a whole lot. And I don't recall any of that. Uh, on Saturday. And again, so that speaks to directional improvement. Uh, Caden uh, Proctor, I think this is a third consecutive game where he played the full game, at least until backups came up. And in the, in the Kentucky game, Alabama did the hockey line switch the offensive line. And Alabama's not done that. Gosh, I want to say since MTSU. So the fact when I say Caden played the full game, he played with the starters the full time that the, the starting offensive line was in there. So there was no rate rotation uh, with Elijah Pritchard. Elijah Pritchard came in with the second team, but not in, in not in a platoon uh, platoon style with Caden, as had been the case uh, earlier in the season. Now Dalkert came in a few snaps early, uh, maybe maybe a full possession earlier at center then uh and so he's working back uh at at center as opposed to guard so that was an that was an interesting uh sighting and he came in i think a full possession earlier than the rest of the backups he came in when ty simpson came in and so the the immediate thought there is oh well dalkard's been snapping for simpson in practice and so as soon as he's come back healthy he's been backing up at center not really backing up at guard, because guess what? Jaden Roberts has come from nowhere, and Terrence Ferguson, when he's healthy, I don't know that Dalkert was going to beat any of those two guys after, like, week three of the season. And so when Dalkert kind of got uh, banged up, I think when he's returned, obviously he's returned at center, and he's been more of Simpson's center as opposed to Rockemeyer's center. And they said, let's bring the kid out there and let's give him everything he needs to be comfortable, including – Who's been snapping him the ball in practice? Because Dalkert's good enough to start, um, not as good as some of the other guys, but he has started uh, across the la- at various points and positions over the last three seasons. So there's not, there is a drop off, but not significant. It's not like putting me at center, right? Because I've been uh, snapping to the guy in practice, right? And so they brought Dalkert in for that. And then, uh, when the second unit did come in, we saw Terrence Ferguson come in, which that's good because we didn't know, was he hundred percent? Is he back? He hasn't knocked off Jaden, Jaden Robertson. I don't think anyone's going to, but is he healthy enough to play? And I think we had that question for Dalkert and for Terrence Ferguson because we didn't see, we didn't see either of them and to see both of them on Saturday, uh, entrenched with, uh, the second team is pretty dang impressive. Think about this for a second team. Now I know the line has progressed a lot over the, uh, over this season. So take this for, I guess, what it's worth. But Alabama's second offensive line has Dowker at Center, uh, Terrence Ferguson at one of the guards, and Elijah Pritchard at the left tackle. All three of those players have started for this offensive line this season. So that speaks a little bit to the rotation that Alabama has, the depth at the positions that Alabama has, which is certainly impressive. The rotation that we've sort of worked through – uh, throughout the season, and and maybe the quality of the second team. Because I don't know that many – I don't know that many teams can, can say that their second team has started – that three guys on their second team has started in, in true starting uh, capacity, you know, across the offensive line. Now, you can say, well, we got them out, and that's when the line got better. Yeah, maybe – uh, I think Jaden, Jaden Roberts, uh, helped a lot in that regard. I think Terrence Ferguson was going to do something very similar because he looked very, very good. Uh, I accredit, you know, sort of rising tide raises all ships. I credit the improved, uh, play across the line, almost to one person specifically. And that's Caden, uh, Caden Proctor as he has gotten better. I think the line has certainly improved. So, um, but I like the fact that there's, uh, the offensive line is healthy. I like the fact that there is depth, even if we've had to manufacture that, uh, through the season. And I certainly like how this offensive line is playing. And so that is super exciting. Uh, the, the entire team, I think has improved. Uh, but Milroads has improved and the offensive line has improved. And I think, I think there's a symbiosis there, a symbiotic relationship. I think is the, you know, Milrow spent a lot of time early in the season getting sacked uh, or trying to look downfield as he was avoiding pressure. And so, as the offensive line plays better, as they elevate their play, as there's less pressure on the quarterback, Milrow can just start to feel more comfortable as a function of. And I think we're seeing, uh, I think we're seeing some of that. So the offensive line should get a lot of praise for their improvement because as they improve, everyone improves and. To drill into that, I'm going to repeat myself, but to drill into that a step further, well, who across the offensive line is sort of spearheading the improvement of the op- offensive line? And that's Caden Proctor in my mind. So uh, so there you have it. Uh, let's go mini game ball. And uh, I'm going to go Malik Benson. And there were two things that really jumped off uh, the screen to me with Malik Benson's play on Saturday. One, and, and they were both the same drive, and they were both on the Roydell williams uh, touchdown drive, and where we talked about Roydell certainly making a great play and Milrow making a great play, The one that reminds us of Bryce. Well, Malik Benson made a couple of good plays on that, and they were sort of hidden. You, they, you lose these plays to history because you might just remember, uh, you know, the, the pass and, and the touchdown that Roydell had. Well, you don't remember is three plays prior, two or three plays prior to the touchdown play, uh, Malik Benson had a nice 15-yard uh, grab right on the sidelines. Had an opportunity to demonstrate a little bit of his speed. He was in in some traffic there uh, along the sidelines, and and pursuit angle got him down. But it was a nice 15-yard gain. And Malik Benson's not caught a pass per game. His average might might suggest that, but I don't think he's caught a pass in every game. And 15 might be a long for him. I'd have to go back and, and see. But he had a nice 15-yarder, looked very comfortable, looked very much a part of the offense when he made that play. And uh, he just has speed for days. And so I'd really like to see uh, a version of him sort of explode on the scenes uh, over the rest, of the rest of the season. But on that same drive, uh, a couple of plays later, and in fact on the same play that we've praised Milro and Roydell for, uh, on the touchdown play, uh, down the field. Now, it's, it happens to be it was the other side of the field, and that's just where receivers line up. But on the other side of the field, uh, Malik Benson was downfield blocking, and he was blocking. when I, As I was watching watching the play on TV, I was convinced that Roydell was going out of bounds because I couldn't the, – the way the camera angle was, you couldn't see the separation between Malik blocking and how much space was behind Malik such that, Royale could could run by. And there ended up being enough space. I watched it on TV the first time through. I thought, well, surely he stepped out of bounds there. But he didn't. There wasn't there was enough space, like a yard, yard and a half that uh Royale was able to to run into the end zone for. And so Malik blocking certainly assisted in the touchdown. And the angle of You know, Roydale almost goes behind this curtain, right? This curtain where Malik is blocking uh this guy, and then he spits out the other side and, and he's in the end zone. There were one or two more defenders that were almost shielded, but they weren't specifically blocked, but they would have to get to the other side of the block to make... Uh, to make the tackle. And so they were basically walled off. Uh, and so I don't want to go so aggressive as to say Malik Benson blocked three guys. Uh, I don't know if that's so much. He, he had a block on a guy, maintained that block. And then the, the presence of those two engaged in a blocking situation created a barrier that the other potential tacklers uh, couldn't get to. So, uh, but the fact that he was downfield making a block, a couple of plays after uh, a big 15 yard first down uh, on a touchdown drive. And damn it, I've been wanting to talk about Malik Benson all season because I've been waiting for him to, to burst on the seams. And I spent all offseason talking about him. And so, first opportunity I, I saw that uh, where he made uh, some plays of, of note, I uh, wanted to call him out for it.
1: Mike Rowe here with a few thoughts on my favorite sweatshirt.
0: All right, let's flip the field like we do. Uh, defense. They it appears that they had their travel uh, papers in order as well. They held to the Kentucky. Uh, they held Kentucky to three of eleven on third downs. Uh, o of one on fourth downs. We're going to talk about that one. Two hundred fifty three total yards. You could put an asterisk next to that. Uh, ninety five. They held uh, Kentucky to ninety five total rushing yards, and you need to put a big big asterisk next to that. There was a seventy four yard busted run fit. And so, prior to that one play with a, with the backups in busting on a run fit, Alabama held Kentucky into the fourth quarter. Held Kentucky to twenty one rushing yards. When the game was on the line, held Kentucky to twenty one uh, rushing yards. Kentucky is a game that relies on uh, the running game. Ray Davis, their quarterback, their running back transfer from Vanderbilt. I love his personal story. He had twenty six. Uh, yards, which is a season low for him. Before you get onto my math, the numbers don't add up. You're right. They don't. Sacks are attributed against, uh, are credited to the running stat or work against the, the running yards. And so there was negative 18 yards for the sacks. So my numbers aren't going to exactly line up because of that. Uh, but truly, uh, 74 yards on one busted uh, run fit, uh, 95 net yards rushing, inclusive of the sacks, also inclusive of uh, the 74. And Ray Davis, sort of Kentucky star uh, running back, had a net of 26 yards. Again, uh, that's a season low. He had 52 against Eastern Kentucky. And you can say, well, maybe he didn't play a lot in Eastern Kentucky. That was a competitive game, uh, close score. And uh, Ray Davis had tw- uh, 59 uh, against Georgia. So it'll be held uh, to 26, that's half of his prior season low, which was 52, and he's had multiple days up over 100, so uh, he is a productive running back, and to be held to uh, half of your prior low this far into the season, pretty dang impressive. The Alabama defense accounted for two turnovers, three sacks, nine tackles for loss, and four pass deflections, so again, active, productive uh, defense. There's also... Still room, I'm going to play my saving card, there's still room for this team to improve. Now play with me a little bit. I'm not going sour grapes here, but play with me a little bit. Uh, on the fourth down play, Leary batted the ball effectively to himself, so so he got it right back. If you go back and look at the film, Saban is livid on that play. And you think, well, it was a fourth down, we got him off the field, we're taking over the ball, we batted it down. Like, what are you going to be mad about? Go back and watch. in the, the beginning of that play, Leary only looks to the right, and he goes to throw to the right. On the left, there's an uncovered tight end. That play could have slash should have, and certainly in Saban's mind, he's adding the score. Uh, he's giving them the points. That could have been a touchdown. You could argue should have been a touchdown because the tight end went uh, uncovered on the left side of the field. It just it just so happens that uh, Kentucky, that wasn't their primary and uh, and and Leary didn't look that way. And by the time and plus the pressure, let's give some credit to the pressure. Uh, it was a bad ball sort of play over. Uh, but that's something there's an opportunity to, to clean uh, that up. There were three missed run fits uh, on the day. And guess what? Uh, they account for uh, at least two of Kentucky's touchdowns. Ray Davis did have uh, he only had 26 yards, but he d- did have two short touchdown runs. Uh, those are missed uh, run fits. Uh, the Ramon Jefferson, he's the one that ran for the 74 yards uh, on the busted uh, busted fit. Uh, uh, that was a uh, Christian story. Uh, was was out of position on that. I got lured out of the the running lane on that. Uh, but that was uh, that was an opportunity that didn't result in a touchdown. But the two uh, uh, Ray Davis plays did. There was a roughing passer on third down. Uh, John Moran did that. It was an incomplete pass. Uh, that was a scoring drive, uh, by Kentucky. And then there was a pass interference on third down, uh, Kalen Downs in the end zone. And that was, that led to a scoring drive, uh, as well. So I'm double counting, uh, cause the two Ray Davis, those are run fit misses. And then the roughing the passer earlier in the, in the drive, uh, was on a scoring drive. And then the pass interference was on a scoring drive. And so there were a couple of three unforced errors there that, uh, you could reason that Kentucky Could have been shut out uh, had Alabama not made those errors. uh, Certainly held Kentucky to maybe seven. Uh, So, again, I'm not doing sour grapes here. What I'm doing is when you go back and you watch the film and you see those things and you say, damn it, these are those things, uh, that can be cleaned up. And so a cleaner defensive game uh, holds Kentucky to seven, maybe shuts them out. Uh, but look, I'm not mad at the 49 to 21 win. Don't hear me say that. Uh, I'm just saying these are the things that the coaches will be talking to the team about. Absolutely. Right. Cause maybe that's the margin of the game in the, in a closer game against a tougher opponent. And, uh, Uh, Simon says we'll have some of those coming up. Let's talk about individual play uh, like we do. Caleb Downs uh, was in on seven tackles. If you ask yourself, how did they have a 74-yard run on a busted fit and that not result in a touchdown? There's only 100 yards on the field, and hell, you get the ball to 25. How does this even work? It's because Caleb Downs uh, just won't stop, and he'll make plays all over the field. And so Caleb Downs ran down uh, Ramon Jefferson to tackle him at the, I don't know, the two or three-yard line. Uh, it netted in a touchdown. In fact, I think it was one of the uh, Roy Davis, uh, Ray Davis touchdowns. Uh, but the fact that Caleb did not give up on the play, continued to run it down, and uh, uh, shoved uh, Ramon out of bounds or tackled him uh, short of, uh, is an impressive play. It speaks to his um, uh, competitive acumen. There, Jihad Campbell is quickly becoming one of the favorite, one of my favorite players on this defense. And I feel guilty saying that because there's so many players on this defense that are that I really, really like. Uh, but he was in on five uh, tackles. He had one pass deflection. Turian Arnold, I've, I've said the same thing about him. He's one of my favorite plays, players on this defense, and it's true. Uh, he had four. Uh, was in on four tackles. He had a tackle for a loss. Uh, he had a pass deflection and an interception. And uh, so he was sort of lighting it up. The only thing I'd say uh, about or t- or two, more specifically to Turian Arnold, is Turian, don't put your finger in there. Just don't, don't, just don't, uh, just don't do it. Uh, Christian Story was in on uh, four tackles he did have a missed uh, he had a TFL he did have a missed uh, run fit but man he tried so hard to make up for that uh, there was a near fumble at the goal line and uh, Christian Story recovered it turns out the running back was down and so it wasn't uh, a fumble but I was so rooting not just you know yay Alabama but for Christian Story for his story I was rooting you know Please please let that be a turnover so you can get that to make up for you know this other play that, that you made. Uh Chris Christian story is uh is is a kid that I, I kind of root for in that position. And he has struggled finding the fields. Um, you know, he had a decent A-day, and then what does Alabama do? Brings in two secondary guys, and so he gets relegated and uh and then when he does does come in, he plays okay, but not outstanding. Uh, he struggled against LSU, and then dang it, he had a struggle play against uh, Kentucky. And so, yeah, I root for the kid. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was in on some plays and nearly almost had uh, a turnover. Uh, so, you know, those are the types of things we root for. Mini game ball, I'm going to give it this week to Trey Amos. Uh, he, there's some, you got to sort of play along with me here. Uh, Trey Amos started because Jalen Key was out. Uh, injured. And so he started uh, Saturday. And then, in fact, he rotated into this position uh, last week against um, uh, later in the game, uh, but against uh, LSU. And you say, well, Jalen Key's a safety and Trey almost is a corner. How does this work? Well, it works because we do, Alabama does uh, almost a, re- a complete shuffling uh, across the secondary. Malachi Moore moves to Jalen Keyes' spot, so he moves from star to safety. Terry and Arnold moves into Malachi Moore's vacated position. So he moves from corner to star. And then Trey Amos comes in and plays Arnold's position at the corner. Now, you know, we do something very similar in dime packages where we'll shift those players around and bring Amos in because he's more of a pure corner, uh, you know, plus limited time in the playbook and, and such. So we don't overload him. Uh, Trey Amos comes in and plays. Uh, just just the corner position and so we do this a lot in, in dime packages as, as well. So previously even if you go back to the Texas game, Trey Amos has been a player that def- that offenses have picked on they've gone after uh, trey Amos and multiple teams have done this on Saturday he contributed to the no-fly zone. Uh, he played very very well in coverage he provided no uh, targets, no target opportunities which just speaks to his progress. There's so many, and we talk about the team as a whole. There's so many individual players that have risen their level, their standard, their level of play, their contribution to the team. And there's so many individual stories where this is true and it's contributing to the success of the team. When Saban says he loves this team, it's the collection of those things. And look, if we're seeing it from the TV, from the stands, there's, 20 times as many uh, of those stories that are happening in the weight room, in the locker room, on the practice field. Players that may not even be seeing the field are upping their level of performance, which is again, sort of rising all tides. And so I think those are the types of reasons. And we're specifically calling out Amos here. We mentioned Proctor a little bit uh, a minute ago. These are the improvements that. This team is, man, certainly certainly, we've talked about Moreau, uh as well. And so uh, there you have it. Trey Amos, uh, mini game ball for his play on Saturday. Let's go special teams. Uh, Will Reichert was 7 of 7 on PAT, so he did not have a field goal opportunity. Uh, I would have loved for him to have gotten a field goal opportunity for two reasons. Uh, it's three points to his total. And, man, he missed two of those boogers uh, against LSU. I would love to see him kick you know, a good 38 yarder, 42 yarder, uh, right through the middle of the uprights, just so, just to sort of purge uh, those last kicks. Uh, I have the feeling that Riker's not the kind of guy that dwells on those, so that's more for me, maybe even than for him. Uh, but seven PATs, you got to feel good about that. I think, if my math is right, this puts him at 23 points away from the record. Now he has the record; he's, he's the first kicker. Ever in NCAA to be above 500 uh, points scored, and so he's already got that. He had that against LSU, and uh, there are two uh, players that have scored more points than Riker. And Riker's in striking distance; he's in kicking distance of taking over, uh, taking over the the full time. And so he's 23 points away. Uh, and so again, here's here's how we sort of break it down: Alabama is guaranteed four games, Um, Chattanooga, Auburn, and then Alabama has already made the SEC game. So that's three. Um, Look, I'm not wishing bad things, but Alabama could lose out and still go to a bowl game. So there's four games, right? So worst case, there's four games. Best case, there's five games. So there's between four and five games possible. And so it's math. And so at 23 points across four games, it's uh, five and three quarters points and uh, 23 across five games is 4.6 uh, points per game. So he is red leader on target uh, to take over the uh, the scoring lead. And we so root for that. You know, we want to score touchdowns against everyone, uh, but I wouldn't mind if he had three or four field goals this next week just to sort of ice it. Uh, so we'll see how that uh, we will see how that plays out now. If that happens, I'll come back and bitch about we could, we had to kick four field goals against you know, Chattanooga or whatever it is. But, uh, you know, what do we say around here? Uh, two things can be true at once. James Burnup. Now, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. There's people out there that noticed this, and I did not. Uh, I did not notice this until I was looking at the, the stats to sort of put my final notes together. Uh, Burnup had one punt. I was like, well, that can't be right because Alabama punted more than once. Well, Will Reichert had two points. Uh, so I haven't seen... Anything in the, uh, in all the sort of the, the sites and articles and reviews, I, I sometimes sort of reference those. And have a, did I miss anything or is there something, you know, an interesting point that, uh, I want to borrow from? And, uh, there was zero reference to Will Reichert punting. And I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. Everyone missed it. Did Will even know that he punted? Uh, so James Burnup, uh, was one for 40, uh, obviously an average of 40. Will Riker was two for ninety-six, and uh, so that's an average of forty-eight. And he had two inside the twenty. Uh, overall, is decent punting game uh, for Alabama. And I uh, have to wonder uh, what's up with Burnup. Uh, remember, it wasn't that long ago where uh, he shanked one and it was injured and in, in and it missed some time. And so I wonder if it's a it's a flare up uh, as as a result of that. So uh, I'm sure that some media member will recognize that and ask in Monday's press conference. I don't know what the over-under is on that, but my bet is that that probably happens. All right, kickoff returns. So, I'm going to do what I do. Uh, Kendrick Law had two uh, kickoff returns, and he was credited for 52 yards of kickoff return yardage. Roydale Williams also uh, had two kickoff returns, and he was credited for 51 yards. So there's a There was a credit awarded of 103 yards on kickoff returns. That is the most fraudulent stat in college football. Here we go. Those four punts resulted in, or those four kickoff returns resulted in drive starts on the 20. Well, if you fair catch it, they'll give it to you on the 25. So when your drive starts on the 20, and it could have, for a lot less effort, started on the 25, that's not a 20-yard gain. That's a five-yard loss. The next drive started on the 26. So they'll give it to you on the 25. We're going to go through all of this production, risk losing the ball, injured players, someone gets tackled to gain a yard, to get to the 26. So that's a plus one. That's not a plus 26. That's a plus one. The third kickoff return got to the 35. So that's a plus 10. That's a net of 10 positive yards as as opposed to what you The wins over replacement, right? The replacement is a fair catch. And so when you get it to the 35, and they'll give it to you on the 25, the wins over replacement, so to speak, is 10 yards. And then there was the fourth one, uh, and that drive started on the 26, So that's a plus one. So minus five, uh, plus one, plus 10, plus one. It's 12 net yards. 12 positive yards beyond the 25 uh, were earned but 123 yards were awarded. It's a bullshit stat, right? So I think so. Uh, Kool-Aid, man, I'm going to talk about Kool-Aid here in a minute. Uh, Kool-Aid, you know, the short version of this is this. Short uh, Kool-Aid uh, contributed to two touchdowns. Uh, he provided on a fumble a uh, short field to Kentucky, in which they scored a touchdown on. And then Kool-Aid had a 27-yard return, which is a true 27 yards from the where he caught it to where he was brought down. That is a net 27 yards. That's not a fraudulent stat. Uh, so a 27 yard kick return, uh, which provided the short field for Alabama and Alabama goes in the score. So I guess that's a wash. I don't know. Um, I love savings response. Like, why am I going to take him out? I love him, And here's the reason. Here's an excuse. I don't know if it's an excuse. He didn't say that. Uh, here's an explanation. And, um, We're gonna continue to put them out there. So uh, I can argue both sides of that. I can understand both sides of that. I'm just gonna let it be, Uh, it is what it is. All right, next up. Next up is some really cool stuff. So pay attention to this. Uh, Next up, Chattanooga comes to town. Let's start with the opponent next week. Next up, Chattanooga comes to town. They're seven and three in their conference. It's a different level of play, but let's call it what it is. They're seven and three. Uh, they are also, interestingly enough, coming off a buy. Uh, so they played 10 games, no buy. I like the I like to buy at like seven or eight. If you can get to eight, that's awesome. Ten, boy, that seems to be crossing the threshold. Uh, for me, anyways. So they're seven and three, they're coming off a buy. And so Chattanooga is gonna be a very game opponent. Imagine you hear midseason form, teams in midseason form. Think about how well Alabama has played coming off its bye. And so you've got Chattanooga who played even more games, even more exhausted, even more ready uh, to to take some time off. They come off a bye and they say, you know what? We're going to play a game that frankly doesn't matter. Uh, It's going to probably be a loss, uh, but it's not going to impact us in our standings relative to let's just go have fun. Let's go do this Super Bowl type thing. After we've had this long season, they're going to be in game shape, game form. They're going to be as healthy as they have been since October uh, or since, uh, you know, the start of the season in September. Uh, they're going to be a game opponent. I've looking generally at some stats. I've not done any deep dive. Uh, they spread the ball pretty well between uh, the passing attack and the rushing attack. I know it's sort of a uh, the media would have us believe it's a baked good uh, baked goods game. And there's a point to that. And I think the score maybe reflects it as well. Uh, I'm predicting it to be a 41-6 to 6 style game. Uh, I don't think Alabama goes complete roughshod. Uh, don't tell Saban this, but I think it's an opportunity to play backups. Someone's going to make that mistake and a presser probably on Wednesday uh, because Saban will want to get the players' attention uh, by that point in the week. So listen for that. That'll be entertaining. But uh, I do think there's an opportunity for some of the youngsters in depth and keep, keeping players healthy and those that are maybe a little bit banged up uh, giving them maybe an opportunity to uh, to play a little bit. I'd like to see Jalen Key and uh, Deontay Lawson, for example, maybe play in the first quarter, and then let's get them back out and, and get the backups uh, an opportunity. So that's a, that's a meaning more in sort of in, in that way, uh, but it'll be uh, interesting to see. We are actively efforting to have a representative from the Moccasins uh, on the podcast to do an interview. We uh, have reached out earlier in the season and uh we got all thumbs up eager to do it and, and so we're just trying to re-engage and, and get that back uh back on the on the schedule so uh, fingers crossed uh we're rooting for that to happen uh that'll be uh that'll be super fun it'll be unique in the way that the austin p interview was uh last year if we're able to to pull that off and uh we love all of our interview guests but that one was unique that one was highly unique uh which made it uh just a little bit extra fun, right? And so we're thinking or hoping that we get the same things uh for Chattanooga moccasins. Uh all right, so that certainly is the game, and that's all our thoughts around uh the game. There's something else that's happening that is super cool. Now I don't I don't get to play in the game and so far playing in the game that would be it and the world would revolve around that. Uh, I can't play in a game. I can play in my own game. And uh and on, and on this Saturday is an opportunity to sort of play in my own game, so to speak, metaphorically speaking. Uh, the podcast traveling team is getting together for the third installment. Austin P last year, A-Day earlier this year, and uh, um, uh, Chattanooga Moccasin. So it's the podcast sort of traveling team uh, getting together. Uh, We are going to do – this is an open invitation. Uh, If you're out there listening and can participate, I have an interest. We're going to do a post-game meetup at Sessions, uh, probably about 30, 45 minutes after the game, whatever time it takes to uh, sort of let the stadium empty out and then start heading in that direction. If we can get the golf cart taxi, we'll do that. If we can't, we'll, we'll hoof it. Uh, So if you're there 30 minutes before on, on, on the dinger uh, and we're not there yet, yeah, give us a minute. We're on the way. Uh, And so highly encourage, invite uh, folks to join us uh, in that regard. I'd say show up or uh, drop me an email uh, before the game, or even I'll have my phone on me, even like, Hey, the game's over and I'm on my way there. Well, cool. Look for us. I'll be the one in red. It's a joke, but, uh, definitely reach out Alabama, uh, football podcast at Gmail. Like I said, just show up and look for us. Are you the podcast group? Are you the podcast group? Are you the, I know somebody will say yes, eventually. And, uh, we're going to try to reserve some space. Uh, see how that works out, but email me show up. Uh, you know, if you're, Hey, listen, let's, let's fill them up. Right. If everybody who listens to this shows up, that would be awesome. Uh, we might get some free drinks out of that. Uh, but, um, hey, if you're at all interested, uh, definitely, definitely show up. Now, for the travel team, we've got a whole sort of itinerary of things, uh, that we're going to do. Uh, but the, the, the sort of the meetup, if you will, uh, opportunity at sessions is, is wide open for everyone. If you want to join the travel team, man, you're more than welcome to. All you got to do is join the support team that's out there and then start attending the zooms. And then, you know, that's where all of our sort of conversational transactions take place, uh, in that regard. If you want to, you sort of air quote, audition the travel team, (laughs) I'll see you at sessions. And, uh, there you have it, uh, the winner for this week's, and this is a function of the zoom call, the winner of this week's, uh, pick. And, uh, you know, I was kind of tormenting, like who picked closest to, uh, sort of the highest score closest to Alabama and who picked closest to, you know, the Kentucky score? And who's closest to the margin and which of those? And I sort of wrestled with that last week, not having prepped. And, uh, uh, Travis reminded me like, dude, you can make the rules. It's your, it's your deal. And so, you know what? You're right. And so this week's winner is Travis. The final score was, uh, 20, uh, sorry, uh, 49 to 21. So that's a 28 point margin. And Travis, uh, picked 42 to 17, uh, which is close. 42 to 49. That's not far off. And, uh, he picked 17 for Kentucky. So 17, 21. That's not far off. Uh, he had a 25 point margin, which is pretty dang close to a 28 point margin. So I'm justifying, but I'm explaining. And, uh, so Travis is our singular winner this week. And uh, Doug will get the prize out to you. In the meantime, Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide.